0: Today's word is called arriving in Arabia when we look at the Bible we can see different references to journeys that people made and it kind of goes over my head anyway a lot of the time and I've often read over the last 40 years of being a Christian. Um, how Paul the Apostle went to Arabia and you see one reference in Galatians, one reference in Philippians, another reference in Corinthians and maybe in Acts and it doesn't kind of mean anything but the Bible says about itself every word in the Bible is God breathed. It's from God. So we can't just overlook something that's in the Bible. So when I was on holidays and I had a bit of time, I was really fascinated by this. I did a deep dive into it and uh, what I found was very interesting. So I've just taken a tiny bit of that, a little synopsis, and that's what today's message is all about. Welcome if you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on podcast It's good to have you join us. So arriving in Arabia, what's it all about? Well, we're going to be looking at, sorry, that's turned off, going to be looking at Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading a couple of verses from that. So we're looking at the great apostle Paul, and how he ended up in this place. Why did he go there? What's it all about? And what's it got to do with your life? Is God speaking to you today through something strange like this man who ended up in a place called Arabia when we look at the whole concept of Paul going to Arabia what we're actually looking at is how Saul became Paul and his name changed His name changed because in the Bible times when people became Christians, they changed their name. So if you were someone who was very proud and when God changed your life, you became humble, they'd give you a new name. And uh, in a lot of parts of the world today, we see the same thing happening. So his name was Saul, but his new name was Paul and Paul means humble. It can also mean small, and apparently he was a physically small guy. But really it means that he became very humble. The background to this is in Acts chapter 9, and what we read in verse 1 to 25, this is just a short synopsis. He was traveling to Damascus, and on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ intervened in his life and he became born again. He was converted on the road to Damascus. You've often heard it maybe, the Damascus Road experience. That was Paul. A man called Ananias was called and sent to help him. This man, Ananias, was just a Christian in Jerusalem minding his own business, but he heard the voice of God. And when God spoke to him, he obeyed. And God sent Ananias, to help this man who was known as Saul at the time. His eyes were open and he was baptized in water. We're gonna do that next Sunday. Well, this man had it and it happened within a day or two of his becoming a Christian. His eyes, he had been, could we bring the kids out guys if you wouldn't mind, we've got Christian Kids Church. It's just hard to speak and hard to listen. If you wouldn't mind, there's lots of activities for the kids. So his eyes are open, and he's baptized by Ananias in water by full immersion. And then we read that Paul begins sharing his faith. He begins preaching the gospel in Damascus. And he's only just a believer for a couple of days. Sometimes we think we have to have Decades before we can tell someone about Jesus in our lives, can I tell you? Once he's in your heart, you don't need a decade. You just yes. need Jesus. Yes, that's amen. all you need. Yeah. You don't need to have a degree in theology. You just to have a genuine experience that Jesus changed your life, amen. and He changed Paul's life, and that's what we read. So that's a brief synopsis of what Paul. Uh, how he came to this position. So we pray now, Lord, your word would feed our souls, give us life, help us remember what's from you and forget what's from me because your word is life to us. Speak to us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is Galatians chapter one. Paul said, you've heard of my former life as a Jew, how I persecuted the Christians, violently trying to destroy them. I was advancing in Judaism beyond others of my own age, becoming extremely zealous for Jewish traditions. But then Jesus called me by my name. We'll say hallelujah. 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 So I went to Arabia and back again to Damascus. Jesus said, on the road, Paul was traveling and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Paul said. He said, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Just like Mike was saying with the kids, Will, Harley, the dog. When you come against God, you come against his people. When you come against God's people, you come against God. The one who's behind you is far greater than anything this world can throw at you. He's bigger than cancer. Who say amen. amen? He's bigger than loneliness. He's bigger than depression. He's bigger than addiction. Jesus is his name. Hallelujah. So Jesus called him by name. But then he does something that most Christians don't ever talk about. And I've never heard anyone speak in it. He goes to Arabia and then back again to Damascus. So often in the Bible, when you see someone go on a physical journey, there's something spiritual to learn from it. In fact, very often, when we go on a physical journey, there's something spiritual going on as well. So Paul going to Damascus and then into Arabia is not only physical, it's spiritual. And I believe here today, this morning, in 53 McCurtain Street, there are some people who are on a journey and it's like arriving in Arabia. We know that uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15.46 says, first comes the natural and then comes the spiritual. And again and again we see that in the Bible. It happens physically. And then strangely, in our everyday lives, something spiritual happens. It's like the physical thing is a symbol, a metaphor for something that's going on spiritually in our lives. It's important we understand what Arabia is. Maybe you think... That Paul went down to Mecca in Saudi Arabia and hung out with the Muslims. Well, they weren't a thing back then, believe it or not. But we're not talking about Saudi Arabia. Here's a 3D map. You see, this is Jerusalem in Israel where it all began. Here is Damascus in Syria. They're both still there. And it's as he was approaching Damascus, Paul was converted. But then, you see, we've got a place called Petra. And Arabia in Bible times refers to this area, Syria and Jordan. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's like Asia in the Bible refers to a small part of Turkey. Don't read the Bible with today's eyes try and understand the context the bible was written in that's the key to really feeding your soul get a bit of knowledge and understand so paul going to arabia was paul going to syria and jordan and when you go from damascus to petra maybe you heard of petra it's one of the biggest tourist attractions in the world a big city really built into the rock if you were to go from Damascus to Petra, you or to Arabia, you'd have taken the trade route directly down. Paul, later on in life, always used the Roman roads. He always used the Roman shipping lanes when he visited Greece and Turkey and Italy and all of these places. Why? It was a thing called Pax Romana. It was the peace of the Roman Empire. It was safe to do so. So Paul almost certainly went from Damascus down to Petra when he went into Arabia. It's like if you say, I want to go to Sweden, you can't just get in your car from Ireland. You've got to go to Dublin and get a flight from Dublin airport to Stockholm, the capital of Sweden. That's how you get there. So we know for a fact Paul went on this direct route. And he goes down into what today is Jordan. So, that's Arabia. Now, what does it mean spiritually? Well, we know from his own words that he was a young ultra-zealot. What does that mean? The Bible talks about it's good to have zeal. That means passion. That means dedication. That means you're full-on for what you believe. Zeal is good. Amen? Amen? It's great to be zealous, but sometimes... If you're ultra zealous, it goes from having self-inspection where we say every now and again, I'll go regularly, I'll go, is my heart right with you, God? Am I treating this person right? Am I doing wrong there? That's zealous. But when you start judging other people, I don't know about you, and I don't know about you, and I don't know about you, and I don't know about you, then you're in a whole new game. And ultra zealots, and this was Paul, he began to bring death, not life. He was an ultra zealot, but he was a Jew, of course, and this was religion rather than relationship, but you can get a zealot in any faith. He says, you heard of my former life, I was extremely zealous for the religious traditions of Judaism, well beyond all others my own age. So there was a whole lot of young fellas who were really into it, but he was the king of them all. He was so zealous it went beyond anything. He says elsewhere in Philippians 3.5, You see, I was a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, and I demanded strict obedience to the Jewish law. Paul wasn't just hard on himself. He was hard on everyone else around him. And so when you met Paul, you were judged by him. And remember, he was a Pharisee. And when the Pharisees met each other, they would scan each other visually. Is your curl the right way? These were David's locks, that's why they wear these curls. Are your clothes the way they're supposed to be? And they loved looking at each other's hands. You very often... In, in some of the ancient scripts, they kept their hands hidden because what they wanted to see is, was there any dirt under your nails? I mean, who wants to hang out with someone like that? Like, you know, So any dirt under your nails? Because you're not washing yourself properly. And so we're in a, in a hot climate, in a place where running water is scarce, and these guys just judged each other. And look what Paul says. I demanded strict obedience to the Jewish law so he was the king of all of this stuff until he says jesus called me by my name hallelujah and i ran out of that grave and he ran out of the grave of dead religion we're not getting at anyone's religion but i tell you christianity isn't about religion it's about relationship hallelujah it's, it's about having a living relationship with a living God. Not obeying a whole load of rules and regulations. Yes, there are boundaries that we need to follow. And sometimes if you're a leader in a church and someone is wild and bringing wild stuff in. Yes, you got to address that. But most of the time, what you and I are called to do is make sure we're okay with God. Yeah? God will look after the other person. We help them. We encourage them. Jesus called him by name. So he was born again. He was saved. What happened if you read it? He was blinded by God. You see, God blinded him. Not the devil. God did. Sometimes the devil gets a bad press. God blinded him to stop him. To get his attention. Shut up. Stop. What you're doing is death. That's the only way God could get through to him. He blinded him. But when Ananias went to him, Something like scales fell from his eyes. It's almost like before there was laser, the cataracts just fell from his eyes. Fell from his eyes and he could see. And then he was baptized by full immersion in the water like next Sunday. Hallelujah. That's what happened to Paul straight away. And we know he started telling others about the change in his life. But he says... I went to Arabia and back again to Damascus. So you see, Damascus was on the edge of Arabia back then. And we see this kind of twin symbiotic relationship between the city and Arabia, between where the Christians were and out to Arabia. Because we hear about the church in Jerusalem and we hear about the church in Antioch, but there was a church in Damascus as well where believers were gathering. It's not a famous church, but it was very much there. And Paul did not cut himself off from the Christian church. He kept connected. And so he goes to Arabia and back again to Damascus. And then it says, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, Galatians 1.18. Number three is very important in the Bible. Biblical numerology, it's called. Number three signifies wholeness, completeness, perfection. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the New Testament, we have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, At the end of the age, the book of Revelation talks about the three angels. Even in nature, we have past, present and future and so on and so on. It means it's complete. It's full. So Paul going into Arabia, something complete was done in his soul. When you arrive in Arabia, something complete will be done in your life. And some of us are in Arabia today. So what is Arabia all about? Very often Arabia in our experience, begins with God kind of ruffling up the nest, with God kind of pushing us. Sometimes God pushes. And Paul was getting quite happy in Damascus, but we're told, and he says in 2 Corinthians 11, "In Damascus, the city governor had the city surrounded so they could arrest me. but I was let down in a basket. Through a window in the city wall, and I escaped from him. Why was the governor out to get him? Because he was preaching the gospel. And guess who he was upsetting? The Jews, particularly the religious Jews. They didn't like him, and with their influence, they got the city governor, and back then, if you didn't agree with someone's religion, you could be arrested and persecuted. But the Christians in Damascus let him down through a window on the city wall. You see, there was a wall around the city and there was only so many gates you could go through and they were ready to arrest him, but he snuck out, hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. Can I prophesy to someone? There's a window in the wall for you. You will escape, but you need all the believers to let you down through the window and the wall, hallelujah. Don't do it on your own. You need some others. So Paul had to leave the city for a while. He goes into Arabia, down to Petra area. It goes back to what uh, Ananias was told by the Lord. The Lord said to Ananias right at the beginning, go and baptize Saul, that's Paul. I have chosen him to be my personal representative to non-Jews. Many versions of the Bible have, he's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's you and me, or most of us anyway. Here's my question. How do you go from being a nutcase, an extreme zealot, With Pharisees, you can barely tolerate other Pharisees. You demand that they conform to your high standards. Woe on you if you've a bit of dirt under your nail. How dare you come here without your curl fully curled? Look at the state at the bottom of your white robe. There's a bit of dirt there. Wouldn't you love hanging out with him? How do you go from that? To being God's representative to people who were not even Jews. What does that mean? You see, the people who weren't Jews didn't really wash. They didn't really wash. Washing your hands? Why would you wash your hands? They didn't know anything about that. They certainly didn't have David's curl, and they didn't wear the right clothes. And the men and women went to things together, not like the Pharisees, who wouldn't go near a woman unless it was their wives. How do you go from that to that? by the power of God. And Arabia is all about God changing Paul, how Saul became Paul. In my experience, I'm trying to think of a modern day equivalent, it's a bit like a militant vegan becomes an abattoir butcher. If you don't know what an abattoir is, that's where they kill all the animals, slaughter the animals and make the steaks and the chops and whatever else you might like to eat. I like vegetarian food and a good few years ago I was in a vegetarian restaurant, it was actually in Clonmel of all places at the time, it was called the Abbey Co-op and I went in anyway and I got a nice vegetarian meal and as I was sitting down there was a bunch of women, they happened to be women, in the table nearby and halfway through the meal this woman comes up and she says, you have some leather in the heel of your shoe.
1: Do I? I? I didn't even know. I didn't
0: look at them. You have leather in the heel of your shoe. Don't you know that meat is murder? Don't you know that killing an animal for its leather and you're just wearing them in your shoes? I said, thanks for letting me know, really. Thank you. Real Irish, like, I don't. I don't. I said, thanks very much in that case. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But, you know, she went back to her table and I looked over and there were four of them. And I said, you're Pharisees. You've got a different uniform, but they had a uniform. And you've got a different set of rules and regulations, but everyone has to conform because this is your thing. How dare anyone else wear a bit of leather. So they were militant. And you know what? They're probably out and out atheists. Can't handle God. No, there's no God. But that's a religion, brothers and sisters. You can go to loads of things. It's a religion. There's loads of religions that don't believe in God. And these are my words. And you can look at all different movements today. It's just another form of religion. But is there a relationship with the living God there? No, there's not. They're just giving you a whole load of new rules. A whole load of new, you can't do this and you can't do that and you must do that. So Paul is transformed in Arabia. Here's something that's important to know. The Pharisees saw Jews as two main groupings. It's actually still the same today. So they saw Western Jews and Eastern Jews. Today, within Judaism, they often talk about Ashkenazi Jews, who are of European extraction, and Mizrahi or Sephardic Jews, who are of Arab, came from the Arab world. And back then in Paul's day, the Pharisees regarded the Greek-speaking Jews from the Western world, the Roman Empire, as not really pure. They were a bit contaminated by the culture. You see, to the Romans, being Greek was the biggest, coolest thing you could do. They loved Greek culture, the Greek philosophers and the Greek way of living. And Greek was a huge language, even in the Roman Empire, though they had Latin. And you can see this kind of tension peeping into the Bible. Book of Acts, the Greek-speaking Jews felt that their widows were overlooked in the distribution of alms, of of money for charity. See, there was a tension between the Hebrew Jews, the Hebraics, and the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. And to the Pharisees... If you're a Jew and you came from the Roman Empire from the West, you weren't really pure. But man, if you came from the East, you were the real deal. You were purer than pure. These are the Jews who descended from the Babylonian captivity. And they lived in today, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Jordan. Those Jews, they were really pure. So Paul, being an extreme zealot Pharisee background, now he's changing... Of course, he still has some of the baggage. Of course, he still has some of the mindset, like you, like me. We all bring some stuff with us, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, whatever our background. So, by Paul, by going down to Petra, by going into Arabia, he's going in with that background, going, you know what? There's a load of guys who are very like me down here. This is a great place to go. But nothing happened. When the Bible is silent about something, it's speaking as well. And so we don't read of one person being converted in Arabia. No one. We don't read of any churches being set up in Arabia. We don't see the believers in Petra were meeting together. No, nothing. Nothing. So Paul, this man, with a great anointing on his life, and he spends the bones of three years in a place where not a lot is happening. I tell you something, and I've learned this over 40 years, when you really grow, those seasons, you probably don't achieve a lot. And when you really achieve a lot, you're probably not growing a lot. When the farmer sows in the spring, he's got a and wait, and all the people who struggle with patience. Oh, wait and wait. He's got to wait until the autumn to harvest. We're going to begin to see all of the farmers in Ireland harvesting over the next six weeks or so, but they planted way back in March, and they've had to wait. It's the same thing. When the seed is put in the ground, it's like it dies, but it's not dying. It's germinating. It's growing. It's all under the surface, and when you arrive in Arabia, and I arrive in Arabia, and I've been there, spiritually speaking, and every now and again, I find myself back there. There's not an awful lot going on on the outside, but there's loads going on. On the inside, and it's a tough place, and it can be a dark place like the seed planted in the ground, and it can be a confined place like the seed in the ground. You can't burst out over the soil up to the sun. No, you're in down in the earth with the worms. But that's where the growth is, that's where the roots grow. That's where you begin to form who God is going to make you into and who He's changing you into. And Saul Paul is in Arabia, in a place that he thought would be great. And nothing happens. Why? Because the calling of God on Paul's life was to the Gentiles. He wasn't called to preach to the other Pharisees or the Jews. He had a different calling. It doesn't mean that others didn't go in time and preach the gospel there and churches were planted. Of course they were. But Paul wasn't called to that if you're called to something be faithful to that we'll say amen. Amen. amen that's the calling of god in your life don't try and be like someone else it's the curse of comparison oh he's really cool is he i'm delighted for him you follow jesus yes, amen. what does god called you to do he doesn't want you yeah you know, don't like i won't i won't go there i won't go there, I will, go there. I will i will i will i will, I will. I will. <laughs> I say this with love You don't have to be like Hillsong in Australia To be a good worship leader You don't have to have an American accent To be a good worship leader You don't have to have an Irish accent To be a good talker Be you You be you I be me And we'll all follow Jesus together Hallelujah Woo! Someone said to me a while ago, I think black people just really have cool moves. And they do. And I remember at the time going, gosh, I must look like an awful old geek or an Egypt. And you and I said? That's okay. I'm me. They're them. Whoever we are, let's be ourselves. And as we all come together, we are harmony. Did you ever hear of a whole load of people singing in harmony without any musical instruments? I remember I was a Christian about eight or nine months, and I went to my first Christian conference over in England, and I walked in, it was called Dale's Bible Week, up in Harrogate in Yorkshire, and there must have been about twelve to 15,000 people gathered. And there was about 1,000 of them singing before the service began one evening, all a cappella, just a pre-service prayer. And they were all singing together, and they went into harmonies, I melted before God, I'll never never forget it. The harmony, they were all singing in different ways, different pitches, men and women, low and high and medium, but together it sounded beautiful. And if you go into a church and they're all clones of the pastor, run out of it! You don't want to be like me, you want to be like Jesus! Hallelujah! We don't have to be like someone else. Yes, we imitate the good things but you be you and I be me. Paul was called to do something. And in Arabia, he learned that lesson. And it was hard, but it was necessary. And Paul became a great man of God. And anyone who God will use will always go into Arabia. They will always arrive in their Arabia and they will find God will do something that's hurtful because you're letting go of something from the past. A lot of people say it's disillusioning, but disillusioning is good because before you were disillusioned, you were believing in an illusion. Who wants an illusion? We want the truth of what God has for us. And God has a great future. God has a destiny in every man and woman here. And you can laugh at that, laugh away. But I've seen it come to pass way too often. God is for you, not against you. God was for Paul, he wasn't against Paul. So brothers and sisters, what's your Arabia? Some of us are in an Arabia right now, and we're not sure, and it's kind of dark, and we're not bursting out into the sun, we're kind of struggling underneath. You're in a good place, because if you keep Jesus as your focus, he'll bring you through this, and God will use you greatly. He might not use you the way he thought he'd use you, but he's got someone else for that job, but he's got something for you no one else can do. No one else can do. Your fingerprint is unique. Even if you're an identical twin, it's unique. So God is something unique for all of us. Brothers and sisters, arriving in Arabia is a good thing. Your Arabia and my Arabia is part of the calling of God in our lives. Some of us are about to come out of it. Others of us are going into it. Some of us are in the middle of it. Either way, this is of God. Let's celebrate it. It's not in the Bible by accident. It's there for a reason. Let's...